As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine and I'm joined now by Alex Stewart. Good morning, Joe. Good morning and Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe. Hello, uh, today we'll be talking about a few different things. Firstly, our fantasy football teams, because it's the international break and we figured it would be a good time to do that. But hey, it's entertaining because that pivots into a conversation about actual footballers. Here's some of the footballers that we discuss. West Ham's defence generally, including Ryan Fredericks and uh, and Cresswell as well. Also Villa, Ollie Watkins we discuss, Grealish and Barkley. We talk about Trezeguet, uh, Martinez. Then we move on to Brighton. We talk about Neil Mopé. There's a bit of an artistic experiment uh, as part of that, that that segment too, which is very exciting. Uh, rave reviews. Then we move on to, to Spurs. We talk all about Harry Kane. And uh, I realise now we just forgot to talk about Ashley Westwood. But we'll do that next time there's an international break, which is in November. But before you get to listen to what we have spoken, I would like to inform you that you should visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO Uh, and sign up for a pound a month as part of an introductory offer that we are currently uh, offering. And hey, guess what? There's a new columnist working here at The Athletic now. Do you know who it is, Alex? Yes. Would you like to tell the listeners who it is? (laughs) It's, It's Alan Shearer. It's Big Daddy Alan. Uh, Big Daddy Allen's in town. He's going to be writing some columns and uh, with real genuine insight. And hey, who doesn't want to hear from the person who scored the most Premier League goals of all time? I know I do. So visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO to dig deep into the burrow of good content and uh, enjoy the rest of the episode as I leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of uh, Joe Devine, the best Joe Devine. Okay, let us begin with discussion of our fantasy football teams. Uh, We told everyone that we'd keep you updated. Uh, We figured that the international break was a good time to do that because I don't know about uh, you, Alex, or or you, Seb, but I have literally no idea (laughs) 
what's happened since the last Premier League game week. If I hadn't turned the telly on by accident when England were playing Wales and uh, Calvert-Lewin was scoring a header, I wouldn't have even known what the fixture was. So it, it feels like a good time to talk about fantasy football. Seb, I think I know that you are placed worst of the three of us. Would you tell us how many points you have at this point and uh, what your team looks like, what the successes and the, uh, the weaknesses have been? I tell you what, I'm going to start with successes because it's a much, much shorter list. Um, and I very loudly and very publicly tell anybody who will listen that my team includes Son Hyung min and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Obviously, uh-huh. uh, you know, Did you have early. Dominic Calvert-Lewin from the first week? I've had both of them from the first week, yeah. Okay, well, um, see, that, that's a good thing. That's a good, see, that's you get a to good... claim extra cr- credit for that. Well, and also, if I leave it there, then most people would think I'm probably you know, nationally in the top 10. That's, Which is that's what I thought start. until you told me about the rest of your team. Yeah, because then then you also find out that I've got Ender Stevens, Lewis Dunk, um, Adama Traore and Raul Jimenez. Jimenez has scored, but uh, Traore has started very, very slowly. Um, Lewis Dunk, um, yeah, Brighton, Brighton are conceding some goals. They have won the clean sheet, but obviously um, the, the big surprise is probably Sheffield United. Uh, nil points so far. Um, I mean, nil goals, right? Nil goals and uh, well, no, they've got one goal. Uh, they scored. Oh, one goal. Um, David McGoldrick scored at Arsenal. Um, alas, right. I do not have David McGoldrick in my in my side, but I do have Ender <laughs> Stevens, and I have not had much production um, from either fullback at the moment. Um, Tell you what, that was a nice goal, wasn't it? I remember it now. Very nice goal, but um, nice goal. for the sake of fantasy football, uh, it did not matter to me. And how many points do you have overall? In total, I have one hundred and eighty-six. Okay, I'm very much looking forward to the next international break to see if I can make an even bigger gap. Um, Alex, let's uh, let's go to you. Tell us about your successes, your uh, your failures, and your overall points. Overall points, uh, I'm on 195. Mm-hmm. Um, six. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, I just want to six, point out that you know you're the guy who knows everything about football. Yeah, I don't I'm know. The first time I've ever played fantasy football, though, and I keep forgetting to do stuff. Uh Um, uh So I've had Salah from the beginning, who's on 41. Um, I've had Calvert-Lewin from the beginning, who's on 37. Um, And Alex McCarthy as a goalkeeper is on 17, which is quite good, I think. Mm. Um, The failures, I started off with uh, Ben Davis and uh, Doherty. Um, which is not ideal, um, but I, I got rid of um, Doherty and I've brought in Lamptey and Cassinier. Um, l- this last week was bad because I had two Liverpool defenders, obviously, and they they didn't do so well, which I no. would argue is kind of a surprise. Also, one was um, your captain, I think. I'm yes, sure you, Alexander you a, Arnold was was your my captain. captain. Yeah. Can you just confirm um, for me that minus points are doubled when uh, when it you have does a appear so? Yes. yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's good. Um, I I also I mean, Che Adams, who is I don't know, Che Adams is not on a huge number of points. He got two for me this week, but I am. Convinced in the same way that Ralph Hasenhutl is convinced that Che Adams will finally realise his yeah. potential as a goal scorer. I think he's got one assist so far, which was quite nice. But um, he's going to explode like, he, at some point. He has to explode at some point. Yeah, he has to. That's how combustion I mean, works. 
<laughs> it just I, I guess the the thing with fantasy isn't it is that there's so much about well part of it is luck because you know, as we'll come on to talk about I think uh-huh. like there are people who suddenly do stuff that no one expected and I can't imagine that anybody is genuinely savvy enough to have selected some of those players um but also that like if you have Che Adams until his hot streak you're down on points aren't you and then it's about knowing when that's going to come good and then getting him in and I, I just find it all very yeah. confusing no you're right it's a, it's about it's just in your bones alex i think some of us have football in our bones and some of us don't and that's have it that's in our all excel this spreadsheets <laughs> so yeah some of us have it in our excel spreadsheets other of us just know we just know cuz tell you what i'm to tell you about my team i got 209 points i'm not a huge distance uh, away from you uh, either of you but i don't have what's a great team i don't think i haven't got um any of the any of the the very expensive players what i did was i tried to to spread across teams that i thought were going to do well and also i tried to magnus carlson and pick players that i thought um fewer people uh, otherwise would pick and now i've kind of been caught up with because you know as they have done well people have selected them a good example is uh, Hamas Rodriguez, who actually started the season with not a huge number of people having selected him. I thought it was obvious that he was going to perform exceptionally well, and perform exceptionally well he has. My disappointment in my <laughs> this team is... the smuggest um, segment is, of this yeah, podcast I've ever much, heard. Yeah, yeah I, I knew it was going to happen, and it was good. The, the, the and, thing and, with Hammers, Because though, it was good. Yeah. Is that I, I, having looked at Hammers and we did that video on him and everything, I, I, what I wasn't expecting him to do was contribute assists because I thought he would play deeper and you know, so this is a buy-in when they've got better players playing uh, forward. I mean, there's no way you play you buy Hamas Rodriguez for Everton and then you play him deep enough that he doesn't contribute assists. This is no way. Uh, also, they brought in Alan and Decore, so that was never going to happen. I know. I Again, know, I, just, I know more uh, about like it, football than you. Just, uh, yeah. Kai Averts has been my big disappointment so far. I was hoping that he would come in and hit the ground running. I think that's perhaps. Um, uh, perhaps a, a symptom of Chelsea not doing particularly well overall either. And I would feel worse if I had Timo Werner because I feel like that he's threatened to be excellent in many more games and just hasn't hasn't quite made it. Avert scored that hat-trick, of course, but it wasn't in the Premier League, so I didn't get those points. Um, I have had to recently make my third substitution, which uh, it was driven by two, well, not uh, one injury to Alisson. So I've replaced Alisson with uh, Martinez and also Anthony Martial, uh, and his red card. He hadn't really done much for me beforehand either. In fact, my two Man United players, Martial and Fernandez, both haven't really done a huge deal for me. Um, so finally, I did bring in Harry Kane, uh, who I think is top of the striking list. I felt like I was missing that big, big, powerful striker. But this is why I like the game, because I feel like I started without any of the, the hot prospects. I didn't have Kane. I didn't have Aubameyang. I didn't have Salah. I didn't have Mane. I didn't have your kind of traditional top hitters. And yet here I am. First of the first of the three. Hmm? Here I am. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> you know, while, 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 while we're talking about disappointments, I want to um, take issue with some of the advice that we sourced from the Athletic. Actually, because I'm pretty certain a couple of months ago we had um, James McNicholas on the pod telling us that William Saliba would be the cornerstone of the new Arsenal defence. <laughs> Into my fancy team, William Saliba went, and no not even a, a minute's worth of uh, football. Since. Well, that's what you get for selecting uncertainty, isn't it? That's yeah, what but I've made get. a season-long Again, commitment, and he will he will stay as my third substitute until such yeah. a point when he becomes useful. Um, I had um, Ruben Venegra at Wolves, who I think is old. A, he's a great <laughs> left back. He's a really exciting player, and he's he's gone on loan to Olympiacos, which is hardly a vote of confidence in him or my selection of him. 
I tell you what Alex might be good at is picking a fantasy team that if if someone picked it in five years' time might win, but definitely <laughs> not this year. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, it'd be interesting to to have the same team again and see see how those points fared. Well, anyway, very interesting. We'll see if I can maintain uh, this uh, this this distance, this current victory, this uh, affirmation of my uh, superior football knowledge uh, by the time we return for the well, next you, international you, break. You know what? I um, think we maybe we can. I think we were just adding quickly because I've just been looking at um, other performers in the TIFO league, and um, Joe, you're technically in third place um, behind what's, Ali. What's that? Sorry. No, um, no, no. Yes, you no, are. No, no, no. Yes, I'd, I'd rather we didn't talk about that. We are going to because we're going to introduce new characters to the podcast. Um, Ali, who does our social media, is leading the way with about 230-something. And in second place... So Ali, who we just hired? Yeah. Well, So, you know, we'll I'm sure he's words. still within his probationary period, so maybe, you know, just... You know, I'm sure there can be some kind of mutual termination there. Um, and uh, unfortunately, Henry, who is more of a long-term employee, designer... Henry? Henry. Henry is in second. What? Yeah. yeah, but he will have just picked pl- the best players. He's cheating. He's playing the game the way all of the kids play the game, right? Who's he got in his team? Uh, I can't tell you between game weeks at the moment. I can only tell you how okay. he's performed. Um, okay. So, or I haven't worked out how to find out. How many has he got? How many points has he got? <laughs> Two hundred and twenty-three. Uh, has nonsense. Has anyone tried the strategy of of lumping in on like four players? that cost a shit ton of money and you know are going to get points and then otherwise just picking substitutes who are only going to get zero rather than minus. I I haven't really does employed that, any sort of strategy. Does that sound like a terrible idea? I think that's a bad idea. I think the idea is to have like one or two big players and then... And because the thing is, like, if you have a good defense, I know defense isn't isn't the priority area in fantasy football at all. And if you, you know, if you're good enough at swapping out your players and and catching on the end of hot streaks and stuff with strikers, then you're all fine. But I like to have a good defense because I feel like you get consistent points uh, every week. If you have, if you play three defenders, for example, and they all get clean sheets half the time, that's an additional 18 points every week. And when you consider that in some weeks you're only really getting 40 points, that's half your points. I mean, I, 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 well, I there like. There are some like people who are getting like 160. Yeah, but that's because that you know that's because Mohamed Salah scores a scores a hat trick and they make him a captain. Like that's just that's just luck. It's all just or, or, luck. or is it luck? You know, it is. All I, luck. I honestly think like picking picking Salah, picking Kane, which I've just done, picking you know Aubameyang, who is a midfielder in this game, is is cheating. That's what I think. I think we should have a league next next season where none of us are allowed to pick players that are over the value of ten. Because it's just cheating. Because they're better. <laughs> and as, as the video that we made about this said recently, uh, they're not priced highly enough for for them to be that valuable in the game. Even though they're clearly so valuable in the game, uh, I feel like it, it it reduces the amount you have to actually think about it. So that's why I'm so pleased that today I am ahead. Obviously, quite you know by some distance, very very impressive performance by myself. Uh, because I feel like uh, you know I've only you just brought Kane in. You're sounding more and more like you've got a apology. Well, just I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like I think it's you know we've got here we've got Seb who has a long history of match reporting, has been a journalist, uh, you know, travelling around the country and indeed around the world for the last sort of you know decade or so, and uh, is, has done a lot of reading, knows a huge number of people, uh, personal friends with Henry Winter, I'd like to say, as he always m- mentions to me every other day. Uh, and uh, Alex Stewart here, you know, the font of knowledge, right? I mean, that's how he sells himself. He's the sort of king of everything that is knowing all of the things about football. And uh, guess what? Little old me is leading <laughs> the league. <laughs> hmm? Hmm? 
without without picking a superstar, unlike you two cheaters. Anyway, I feel like um, that's enough of that. It's quite enough. Uh, let's move on to talk about some surprises from this season so far. Unexpected successes so far. Joe, Joe in uh, fantasy football probably probably ranks quite highly <laughs> on that list. I'd say. Uh, it wasn't unexpected where I'm sitting. Okay. Uh, okay, so I, I, I think this is nice because it, it fits, kind of fits with the idea of what we've just said. So let's talk about our, our two or three surprise successes of the season so far. And then uh, as Alex writes here in the plan, I can take the piss about how we've not selected them in our fantasy football leagues and are in fact doing quite badly. Speak for yourself, Alex. Speak for yourself. Uh, I want to start by coming to you Alex, uh, to discuss West Ham's defence, because you've written here that Ryan Fredericks has more shot-creating actions per 90 than any defender with over two games played, and is sixth of all PL players, plus one match played. Uh, Yes, and also Cresswell, Masuaka, um, it's, I don't know, I mean... West, I have to be honest, West Ham are not a team that I really ever pay enormous amount of attention to because they, they seem to sort of, they're a bit chaotic. The The selections are hither and thither. Moyes, I think, took a while to kind of bed in. But particularly that 3-0 result uh, away against Leicester, you know, the, the Leicester that had just dismantled Manchester City. The one Moyes wasn't at, Alan Irvin was. But, I mean, we can assume that Moyes is picking the team, right? Can we assume that? Maybe I think maybe, yeah, I think so. Maybe that's the surprise. It's all Alan Irvin. Um but they you know, they looked really impressive. There's this very compact uh low block with five at the back, which allows the wing backs to push forwards on the counter attack. Declan Rice looks like a, a different player for West Ham than he does for England. He's he's more progressive in his passing, he's uh, better at carrying the ball forwards. Sushek has been fantastic and I think part of the reason that West Ham defence is playing so well is because they have a, a genuinely good double pivot in front of them in in Rice who's more of a holder and Suchek who's more of a box-to-box midfielder and then they've got this pace out wide with Fredericks like Kufel played I think against Leicester but but the, the point still stands and they're, they're just looking quite good you know they press high they press aggressively Fornells particularly is good at that but also Mikel Antonio so it's very much a kind of defend from the front and then spring forwards and against Leicester it was hugely successful but that's a surprise to me I think many people uh, uh, expected that West Ham would be relegated this season because it just you know it just seems kind of season after season those uh, adjustments aren't made uh, but Seb talk to me a little bit about West Ham because um, in fact something interesting came out of a discussion we were having last night we're, we are working on something uh, relating to the um the the the, the new uh, proposition from Manchester United Liverpool and uh, and, and Rick Parry to uh, change the structure of English football quite significantly so um there is as part of this a new rule which says that uh, or, or you know would say if it ever came into effect that the nine teams that have been in the Premier League for the for the longest period of time um, consecutively would have special voting rights West Ham happened to be one of those teams uh, along with Everton. Uh, Southampton, I believe, and the Big Six. We, and, and you know what? What struck me yesterday, and, I, and by the way, I, I do not direct this at all at West Ham United supporters, who I feel immensely sorry for a lot of the time. But if this do, if this were to happen, uh, and there's certainly no no reason to say that it definitely will do, but if it were to happen, I just feel like West Ham have been so lucky to walk into that big stadium, which theoretically increases the value of their, of their team overall, right? Uh, not to say that that's a lucky thing for supporters who don't seem to particularly enjoy it. Um, 
But also, you know, if this proposition were to go ahead, also to walk into a special voting benefits for having a team which the ownership seems to do um, a quite poor job, in my opinion, of uh, of aiding in almost any way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's almost quite generous, Joe. Uh, the stadium is the worst football stadium I've ever been to. It's okay. um, truly terrible. And West Ham fans would say to you, they were they were sold the dream. Um, the Athletic actually did some really good, um, really did a coverage of uh, of the the decade under the current ownerships and what has been achieved and what was promised and what the fallout um, has been as a result of the disparity between those two things. They would be very fortunate, but I think that uh, what seems to have, you know, obviously we talk about what was what they what they pay for the stadium, what they pay to um, to occupy the Olympic Stadium, um, and their potential to um, to kind of drift into one of those long term stakeholder positions should that proposal come to pass. What I think West Ham fans would say to you is that they have actually traded away an awful lot to get those things. Um, no, I completely agree with that. No, I, I know you know that. I, I just the, the thing about them is that West Ham to me are they're they're almost a club without a trajectory. They are a club who um, each year uh, they get to a transfer window, um, and up until very recently, uh, they would try and sign the most famous player they could afford, regardless of whether that player was really a particularly good fit for the club or the side. Um, they do baffling things like. They um, they trial a director of football model, but they allow a head coach to essentially appoint his own boss. And then when it doesn't work, um, you hear one of the owners talk about how, you know, a director of football system just doesn't work. So we've gone back to uh, just, you know, give it to David Moyes for a couple of years. Right. There's no order. There's no... Um, uh, there's but this no... is what I think I mean. I think I mean that the, the ownership have been exceptionally fortunate and would be exceptionally fortunate if this were to happen. The stadium, I, from a fan's perspective, obviously, is is closer to a disaster than it is a success. But yeah, the stadium uh, does increase the value of the football club, and that just fell into the laps of uh, of that of those owners, right? As as this proposition could could also do. Absolutely, and and also if you look at um, if you look at some of the clubs that are not on this list, um, some of the uh, shorter term inhabitants of the Premier League. And you examine some of their processes. I think I probably would reference, yeah, someone like Brighton, for instance. Do Brighton as a football club make a lot more sense than West Ham? Yes, definitely, um, because the way they do things seems to um, seems to come with a degree of logic which has so far been absent uh, at West Ham. So yeah, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. I think that um, what I will say would be scant consolation to to any West Ham fans because uh, I don't think I've spoken to West Ham supporter who likes the um, London Stadium experience or who wouldn't, given the opportunity, go straight back to Upton Park. I, can, I have endless sympathy for, for, with them for that. Um, additionally, things like, you know, um, things like long-term partnership stakes and uh, being a long-term stakeholder and also having kind of guaranteed voting rights. Um, I mean, they're good things. I mean, you'd want them. Whether you care about them as a fan, I don't know. And also, like, on the, on the footballing stakes, we've, we've drifted a little bit, like, West Ham has surprised me too. I, I, that that Leicester result was absolutely stunning. The the Wolves game the week before, uh, I think people watched it and thought, okay, this is kind of this is one of those oddities that the Premier League was at that point prior to the the Villa Liverpool game. It was still throwing up strange results and kind of performances that you thought were kind of being overly influenced by fatigue. But actually, you look at what um, has been done and what and the way West Ham are playing, and it suddenly looks a lot more credible. Um, 
it's very dangerous saying things about like uh, saying things like that about West Ham because you know within a week or two uh, with a little bit of hubris with an owner talking on social media getting all boasty as has happened several times in the past that there's never not a, a five nil battering around the corner. Um, but at the moment, yeah, I agree with Alex. I think it's it's uh, it looks healthy, which is a really strange thing to say um, about a club that off the field, you know, um, there are still supporters protests going on. Well, there would be if their people were allowed to gather. Um, there's still a lot of um, very strong anti-board sentiment hanging around. And yet, the team is playing brilliantly. Well, let, let, me, let me ask this. I mean, a team that wins two of its first four games, six points already, presumably the, the aim for West Ham before the season began would have been to avoid relegation, right? I mean, that's a realistic aim. Um, this, I mean, it's a good start, right? I mean, like, you, you know, you, I, how often do you see teams that do end up being relegated uh, getting results like this this early on? Well, it can sometimes happen. I, I feel like... Because of the nature of this season, it's a little bit of a trick question, isn't it? Because everything, all of the wisdom that we've gathered over the last few years, over the last few decades even, doesn't really count for anything because you can't trust them in these sequence. Yeah, everything is a little bit mad. What I'd say is that I don't I don't think I've seen anything above pitch level that convinces me that um something silly can't happen at some point. Yeah, um, sure. And that's yeah. that's a kind of that's quite a West Ham quality. Maybe fans won't like that, but I think it's fair that there is always um you know, uh, defeat can always be found from the jaws of failure, uh, from the jaws of success, even. Um, jaws of victory. Fucking hell, I've battered that, haven't I? <laughs> I think it's fine. I like, I like that the listeners get to hear how you caught something. <laughs> let's, let's try and be a bit more elegant with that. They can, they, they can fuck things up. That's, that's, that's how I put it. That's, that's my okay. best. Uh, that's as concise as I can be this morning. I think that's about right because I'm just, I just uh, spent a while scrolling down the TFO Twitter feed to find our Premier League predictions. Seb, I hate to say that you placed West Ham in 20th place. so there's I no still answer. have confidence in that. That's my William Saliba. That is, Ale- that's, Alex that's, in that's 19th. Okay. Alex in 19th. And I'm the only person who didn't. I put them at 17th. So I, th- I thought West Ham <laughs> was going to say, oh, man. just to say again, one more time, I am the best person here. And let's move on to talk about uh, Aston Villa. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Alex, I was delighted to see that this had entered into the plan. Aston Villa, Ollie Watkins, second only to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, the god for non-penalty XG per 90. Jack Grealish is, is mentioned here too. I'll let you go through those stats. But the one I'm pleased about is Martinez having the best post-shot XG plus minus in the league. Uh, because when I removed Alisson due to injury from my fantasy team, I brought Martinez in uh, from the eye. And then when I read your thing, I thought, hey, my eye is like Alex's thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
your your eye is like my thing. That's right. That's I don't right. really know what to do with that. Yeah, I'm a I master mean, of words. I think I think this whole conversation is caveated, like Seb said, with the fact that you know this this is this is the oddity season. If last season wasn't odd enough with the way that it finished, the way that this one has begun. Uh, with this insane number of goals per game and so on, it, it is particularly unusual. And there is literally nobody on earth who foresaw the 7-2 result. Um, so, you know, I, I think, obviously... <laughs> well, that's... I wonder what kind of odds you would have got on that if you, if you had, if you were that, if you were that way inclined. Must have been, uh, you know... I don't know. I mean, I it would have been, it would have been shorter than Leicester winning the title when they did, but probably not by much. Um but you know the the thing with Villa is that they you know, we looked at Villa last season um, in terms of what they needed to do to avoid relegation, and the thing with that Villa squad was that there was a lot of passive defending going on. There seemed to be a, a bit of a disconnect between the defence and the midfield because the defence naturally wanted to drop back and protect themselves because Villa were getting battered quite regularly. But in people like John McGinn and Jack Grealish, um, Villa have really good creative attacking players. And I think what's happened this season is that the defence has pushed up a little bit further with Martinez giving extra confidence. That that really is a phenomenal signing by Villa. Um, Douglas Luiz has started to really kind of fulfil the, the promise that, that he showed early on. Um, Tyrone Mings is a very solid defender and then ahead of that with Grealish particularly you've got somebody who can always do something fun you know who he's he's the most fouled player in the league already again um, he wins the most fouls in the final third uh, he's contributing you know shot creating action goal creating action he's just a fantastic player and then with the acquisition of Watkins and I, again I think this is the sort of difference where we were quite down on Villa last season, I think, uh, at the beginning, and got some criticism for that. Um, but what they've done is they've they've taken a squad that had some outstanding players and a few solid ones. They've added quality in quite an astute way. I mean, Watkins was a player that was linked with quite a few of the lower-end Premier League clubs, and, and Villa were able to get him. Martinez, obviously, a good signing. Ross Barkley, too. Ross, but yeah, Ross Barkley. I'm slightly less convinced by just on the basis that I think you know he's he adds an option certainly, but I but I think if if Grealish and McGinn are fit, they're they're the kind of go to guys, and and Douglas Luiz is is not going to be displaced from that team. Um, but I don't know, you know man. I mean, I watched I watched Barkley and uh, Grealish play together in that Liverpool game. And they looked like they clicked immediately. They felt like they were, I, I really felt like I was watching a, a new partnership brewing. I'd be very surprised if Barkley doesn't start their games. Barkley's an oddity, isn't he? Like, I, I, again, I don't, I don't pretend to know a huge amount about him overall, and not followed his career in the same way maybe that Seb has. But he seems like somebody who can do a number of things quite well without being necessarily outstanding at any of them. Um, uh, he is quite a good ball carrier. He's quite a dynamic player, and 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 he was surprising for Chelsea. I think last season he he was a a very high contributor in XG chain. So he was he was part of moves that developed into good shooting opportunities, but not necessarily sort of right around the box and and you know playing the final pass or or assist or what have you. So he definitely does contribute s- stuff. I'm just not entirely sure what it is. Uh, Seb, Ross Barkley? 
Interesting. Always, always someone that's kind of been in the wrong place at the wrong time. So his move to Chelsea probably happened a couple of years too late. Also happened after a very serious hamstring injury. What I like about Villa is that it's it, it, it's it's the right home for him at the moment. He needs to be. He's always needed to be somewhere where he can be aggressive uh, because he is a um, he's a vertical ball carrier. He wants the ball at his feet and he wants to be expressive with it. I really like the idea of. Because I, what, what I think will happen is I think we'll see kind of the the, the shape that um, that he used against Liverpool, um, like that sort of McGinn, Luis, Barkley triangle in the middle of uh, midfield, but then um, Grealish playing from the left. What I like about this is that it takes some of the attention away from Jack Grealish because Grealish is like Grealish is a creative player, lovely ball carrier, yes, but um, he's a wonderful playmaker too. If you add Barkley into that, so you've got long range shooting threat. Um, dribbling ability, good passer of the ball. Not maybe not as reliable as a, a, a passer as Grealish, but just another outlet like that. All of a sudden, you're giving um, any defenders who play against Villa um, a slightly different look, a, a, another set of problems to deal with. Because what you can't do is you can't just sit and double Grealish. You because you know I, I know people. Some people find um, Barkley a little bit underwhelming, and yeah, he can um, he can fluctuate with his form. At the same time, he's still a really gifted player and someone that can hurt you. Uh, and I think that's what makes it smart. I mean, it worked for everyone. I mean, it worked for Chelsea because Chelsea aren't really interested in him anymore. They they need him to play. Barkley wants to play for England, and the only way he's going to do that is if he's involved every week. Um, and I think pairing, it, it's not a, a pairing because it's not a true combination, but there is a little bit of, um, you know, there is a, a little bit of the, the sort of the, the partnership um sort of feeling yeah, about that 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 Grealish there's, there's several one twos against Liverpool were just they honestly felt like they played with each other for for a year absolutely already. it was really I mean, cool I, to watch it really was it was really fun to watch and I I I, I mean I I'm trying to stay clear of reading too much into what was a really really strange game of football yeah um, but it was it was really hard not to be encouraged and I think um, well didn't Jack Grealish look really happy about it as well he seemed to enjoy himself. Um, I like what they do with Watkins at the top of formation too. I think there's a future here. Uh, I I know it's not going to be 7-2 uh, every week. I, I understand that. But I felt like one of the big problems for Villa last year was um, the not having enough sources of creativity. Uh, that among other issues, let's let's be fair. Um, Alex did a really good video on some of the defensive issues uh, towards the end of last season, which a lot of those things remain true now. Um, but I think they've solved a couple of problems and I think it's a really smart pickup. And I, I want to see him become the player that he could have been. I know it's a little bit late in the day. He's not going to be the next Paul Gascoigne. We know this. But there is still something very watchable about Ross Barkley. And I think um, it, you know, Villa Park could be a great theatre for, for him. This well, also, season. as Alex said, this has turned into an unbelievable transfer window for Villa, who mainly didn't lose Jack Grealish in the way that everybody expected six months ago that they might have done. And perhaps coronavirus is, is to thank for that, or maybe it's just other teams, you know, not being quite in the right position. But also bringing in bringing in the players that we've listed. I mean, they they have to have had one of the most successful uh, summer summer windows going. Um, sorry, Alex, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was I was, I mean, actually, what you've just said dovetails neatly with that because I was going to mention Matty Cash as well. Um, you know, I think in in Matt Target, Villa had a, a, a very serviceable attacking left back who obviously came from Southampton, um, and they've now added another good one in in Cash on the right hand side, who's young, dynamic, can also play as a, a wide right midfielder. I think has also played in central midfield as well. Um, 
and and you can see Villa's one of those squads where you can see just looking at the lineup roughly how they can play on the basis of who they've got and what their strengths are. Um, and I think there's you know it's quite a young squad as well still, um, and and in terms of that sort of ability to bed some of those players in over the course of this season, and then you know I I think on the basis of what we've seen so far they they should be fine right um but there's definitely like seb said there's a future there there's there's the ability to if the 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 core of this squad is kept together then then villa could start to become really quite impressive i agree 7-2 is a flash in the pan but at the same time when you're bringing in younger players who clearly excel at certain roles and you can see what the system's going to be you can see what the style's going to be that that does bode very well on the pitch but also points to you know some sensible thinking off the pitch i tell you what we think 7-2 is a flash in the pan until they go to the king power stadium and uh, smash leicester 7-2 hey hey happening on sunday 1915 anyway uh Let's go away for a minute, and when we come back after that minute, we will talk about Brighton. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We are back. Can uh, highlight the video, Alex says. <laughs> you know, when Seb writes me a planner, it's much more for me to read. Whereas this is just, uh, <laughs> this doesn't help me. But all you I tell me out loud out now what you we. wanted to say. So Brighton, obviously, you know, they've they've lost against Everton and, and United. Um, but they are sixth for XG difference despite being 15th in the table. And uh, we've got a Brighton video coming out where I, I look at a few of the things that they're doing slightly differently. Seb mentioned Brighton earlier as an example of a club who are, who are well run off the pitch. And again, I think... The way that they are playing, the integration of of some of these signings, actually signings that they made uh, last season, I think, with um, particularly Alzate and Lamptey. Um, Graham Potter as a young, interesting coach. Brighton are really, really good. Um, They're playing with a great deal of fluidity. Um, Ben White coming back from a, a stellar season at Leeds has really added something both to the side defensively, but also in terms of how they progress the ball. His ability to move into the wide spaces frees Lamptey up to push forwards and, and be exciting. Trossard is another good signing from last season who's bedded in well and has created this really lovely fluid front three with Neil Morpé, who's having a fantastic start to the season, and Aaron Connolly. Um, I, Brighton are great. They're they're a really fun side to watch. Um, yeah, without necessarily any kind of you know massive name players, they've not you know they're not the sort of a team of household names. But there is something very very good happening there. I think. I tell you what, I would like to do is um, I'd like to try something for you now, uh, where I 
I try to express how the way that I think Neil Mope plays, only using the word uh, Neil Mope. What do you think about that? <laughs> okay, I'm going to okay. need silence to do this. But this is Phil, how I. This, this is, is how I you should have told us about before we and this started is, the podcast. This, well, hey, give me a plan with some gaps in it, and this is what this happens. Is, this is, this this is, is like jazz uh, odyssey from, from Spinal Tap. This is, <laughs> we're just, just. I'm going to need some silence. Sorry, how, sorry, uh, how are there gaps a, in this plan? I don't this know. Plan just, is comprehensive and has numbers yeah. in it. Yeah, but but be quiet now because uh, I, I'm going to need a little bit of, of time. Uh, I'm going to need you not to interrupt, okay? And also, there's a few different phases of play. So w- when I, you know, when I start with Neil Mope, Neil Mope, Neil Mope, Neil Mope, that's just one. That's just one of them because obviously you've got that kind of floaty Neil Mope, and then you've got Neil Mope, Neil Mope. <laughs> that's Neil Mope as well. And also, Neil Mope, uh, in the six yard box, of course. Neil Mope, Neil Mope. And that's Neil Mope, uh, in, 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 with just the words Neil Mope. I feel like that's a very accurate description of how he plays. I don't think I need to use any more words to explain that. So I'll, I'll pass it on to Sepp now. Yeah, just a reminder that we're kind of coming up to awards season for podcasts as well. So if anyone wants to. Uh... Remember and nominate that little segment when it when when the sort of the FSA <laughs> voting comes up. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh-huh. Um, Neil Mope. Neil Mope. Uh, you know what? I, I reckon. I mean, Alex, right? There, there aren't any household names there at the moment. I think Yves Basuma could become a household name at some point. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really, really good player. Like there were his first season in football. There were sort of a few impetuous moments. Um, and you know, this season he had that. I'm not even sure how you describe the the kick that um, resulted in the red card. Like it's, it was something. It was like a kind of. Um, do you remember <laughs> it was a the scorpion um, kick in the face? Well, wasn't it? Yeah. One? Do you remember the the special move from um, Ryu and Ken in Street Fighter Two? <laughs> the the sort of the the spinning roundhouse. It was a little bit yeah. like that. But he is oh, uh, looks a really really complete midfielder. I really like him. Um, he's so good, isn't he? He's so good, and also like one of the things like one of the things about that Everton game. I know they lost, and. Um, I know they conceded four times, but they were still really good on the ball. Um, they retained possession quite well. They had a few defensive moments which weren't so great, and um, Rodriguez picked them apart a little bit. Um, but they just look a little bit more mature with the ball. Like it's not sort of they when it, when it, when a when when a lot of teams are newly promoted into the Premier League, you feel like a lot of their phases are quite panicked are quite rushed are quite they're, they're sort of designed around getting from um south to north as quickly as possible or back behind that um you know protecting their goal as quickly as possible brighton now seem to have the kind of like have lost whatever inferiority complex um a lot of teams bring up with them when they, they come from the championship and now just a footballing side um not as good as everton um but at the moment on the basis of the league table very few teams are uh, but just really impressive and really, really fun to watch because there's so many little stories inside that that first eleven, so many little like, sort of um, developing partnerships, and they're just yeah. they're just a, a fascinating little um, subplot to the season so far. I love them, and also Adam Lallana has been injured a lot, hasn't he? So it'd be great to see sure him has. come back into the team more too. Uh, I feel like uh, that could that could really push things on in terms of in terms of clinicalness. Yeah, I think Seb's right in terms of of there are no household names there now. But, you know, you can, again, like we said with Villa to a degree, or well, so with Brighton, <clears throat> I, I'm not sure Ben White is a household name. I think, I think he know, is after the summer. He was linked with, with clubs, but I think he was still quite an unknown quantity because not, you know, people who pay lots and lots of attention to the Premier League don't necessarily pay attention to the Championship. I think it's it's quite easy to know of Ben White without realising just how good he is, but... 
with him, with Lamptey, Basuma, Aaron Connolly last season was was one of the best players for non-penalty XG per 90, but didn't play very often. Um, Lewis Dunk is a very, very solid and capable defender. You know that there are there are players there who, if if Brighton continue to have a good season, and I think they will come better. That their, their results, like with the Everton game, as Seb says, you know Everton are playing fantastically at the moment. But Brighton should improve on the basis of how they're doing, uh, and 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 that will be realised in the results. If they can keep the core of that squad together, then. That it is the sort of team that I think next season potentially will have players that that everybody's interested in, or they could um, win the league, <laughs> or they could win the league, and and I think Seb's no, absolutely point. right. You know, Potter is Potter is a possession based coach. Um, he's very tactically astute as well, and he clearly has given them the confidence to play out from the back to to get these nice rotations going, to get link up play going. That front three is really fluid and lovely to watch. Um, as as you so eloquently expressed, Joe, I think um, with your <laughs> with your Neil Mope section. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're great. They're they're they're, they're more. They're, they're, as, they're almost as fun to watch at the moment as Everton are. Um, almost, is... yeah. Do you know? I just love Neil Mope so much. What was the game? Was it Arsenal? Was it Arsenal last season? Yes, when it they was, had yes. the, the, the 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 sort of spat, and I just I just loved that because that, not that I dislike Arsenal particularly but when there is um, a lot of squaring squaring up and there's no there's no violence and it's all kind of pantomime and body play and not body play that sounds that like a sounds different weird. but what I mean is <laughs> you know the shaping of body the, the peacocking of, of, of men you know I, Neil Mope uh, just laughed in the face of Xhaka and uh, of several other uh, uh, Arsenal players I just I just found it so was some, uh, was Gwendozi involved? Oh, in it was Gwendozi. It was Gwendozi. That was the right Gwendozi game. That, that was the Gwendozi game that, that Gwendouzi sort game. of put the final nail in Gwendozi's no, coffin, right. and yeah. he's but now he off so, on loan like, in Germany. He was so Jack Shaw about it, and uh, I just think um, I just I just like him. I think I want to be his friend. Is what I'm saying, Neil Mope, um, and I will I will say Neil Mope more. But for now, uh, let's move on to talk about someone who is not Neil Mope, but does have more fantasy points. It's Harry Kane. Uh, Kane is the top player in the league for actual assists and expected assists per 90. Um, why? What's happened? Well, uh, what, what's happened I, is that I, they've just... They, uh, okay, again, there's the slightly freak result against Southampton where... Southampton maintained this absurdly high line and, and Kane just played the same pass to Song Kung Min, I think three times, maybe <laughs> yeah, even happened. four. I was um, wondering if it was more like existential than that. Has he realised that he's not going to hit Big Daddy Shearer's top number? And so well, he thought, I don't care anymore. I, I think in terms of the way that Spurs, and, and Seb will probably be able to answer this better than me, but I'll have a quick stab at it. With with Son and Moura, um, Spurs have got two very quick, strong players that can cut from outside to in Kane has always been somebody who's quite liked dropping off but previously would then also need to get forwards in order to to finish stuff off but you know for for England as well during the World Cup him and Sterling would sort of alternate and and drop off a lot and then play forwards and and it seems like this is something that Spurs have either sort of stumbled across in the course of that Southampton game or potentially considered as as a likely thing but Kane is 
is almost playing as a bit of a ten at times, um, coming really, really far deep, and then using his passing ability, which I think is genuinely underrated. Wayne Rooney. He's always been good at passing. Um, it's just he's been better at shooting, so that's what people used him for. Um, but he's yeah, he's got this creativity, and and because Spurs are looking to play forwards quickly um, and use the the sort of the power of those two forwards cutting inside, it it really naturally suits Kane's ability um, to set things up. And let me ask I, you this, Alex. Right, let me ask you this. Slightly off topic, but if you're good at shooting, you're good at passing, right? Because what's a pass? It's just a shot, but well, but less hard. I think to a degree there's probably some sense in that, but I, I think shooting is about the position. It, it's a lot about the position in which you find yourself or, or get yourself into as well. Passing is about the ability to see where somebody else is going to be. Um, so it's not necessarily about the, the technique of kicking the ball, but it's not about the accuracy. your ability to recognise either where you ought to be or where somebody else ought to be and then have the technical ability to execute those two things. Um, but Kane's, you know, Kane's good at, at, at sort of cross-field passes. He's quite good at crossing. He's got more to him than, than just being a striker. And I think he's found for the time being, and this may be a good way of, you know, him conserving himself in terms of injuries and stuff if he if he has to be less dynamic and less robust in the box and try and you know carve space out for himself against defenders or rush forwards at pace to try and get into the box on the end of of opportunities he can use his other abilities to set those players up um, and protect himself a little bit more quite good at swearing as well isn't he seb Really good at swearing, according to the Amazon documentary. Really, really good. Let me just add something there because I, I think it's important. I, I think um, I think Jose Mourinho is um, owed a little bit of credit here because um, Alex is quite right. Uh, Kane has always had this in his game. So one of the um, the most familiar uh, automatisms of um, of Bettina Pochettino's football was to drop Kane into a kind of space on the touchline, left hand side, um, receive the ball, and then whip a cross field pass, a switch of play to a um, a fullback on the other side. It was a kind of little mechanism Spurs used to kind of um, to, 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 to change their gears, basically. What Mourinho seems to have done is, with the absence of Christian Eriksen, has gone um, a lack of properly penetrative passing ability. Like, they've got players that can play the same kind of position. So they've got attacking midfielders, players that can carry the ball. What they don't have is kind of the weight of pass. And so what I think Mourinho has done is just stress the need for Kane to to play some of those, to fill some of those roles within a game um, and to kind of, um, yeah, to, to, to almost moonlight between being a forward and a kind of a creative playmaker. I think the other thing that seems to have happened is that over time, Son Heung-min has been gradually encouraged forward um, into a kind of into a central area. He's always what, been like some of... cheese. You mean? <laughs> <laughs> he said that Gently. like he was a little mouse. Gently, well, he, he, because it's, it's been gradual. Cheese. It's been gradual. It hasn't been a kind of right. You're going to play up front, but if you look at sort of some of the shortages that Spurs have suffered over the last couple of years, so long periods without Kane, where Son has had to deputise as a proper centre forward, um, not a false nine, an actual centre forward, um, as as Kane has come back and as the kind of combination between them has redeveloped, Son has sort of retained a lot of the habits that he was yeah. he was needed to, you know, a lot of the... It's, the that's lot of the, interesting. 
Well, I, I think so, because what you have in Son is someone that's brilliant off the left-hand side, someone that can beat players, that can they can cut in onto his, onto his stronger foot, but also someone that carries the ball at great speed. Um, because there is a difference between a player being quick and a player being able to carry the ball quickly. Um, and Son is both, and a very skillful player, a very two-footed player. And so Mourinho seems to have created a sort of a Swiss army knife of a centre-forward out of him. Um whilst utilising the best parts of the two, you know, really important parts of Kane's game, which are obviously his goal scoring, but also his pivot play and playmaking. And it's um, it's not an accident. There are still issues elsewhere in that side. Um, obviously, we're recording this a couple of days before Gareth Bale will probably make his second debut, so we'll see what that brings. Um, but potentially, this is as good a, um, you know, a attacking unit as they'll be in the country um, within a couple of months, I think. Um, Do you know what, as well, Son's growth over years has just been a delight to watch, hasn't it? I, he, I, you feel like he just keeps getting better over a much longer period than you would expect a player to continue improving, do you know? Yeah, he also, he when he first came, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really like him. I mean, I liked him as a footballer, but his attitude wasn't quite right. He, um, he actually wanted to leave Tottenham at the end of his first season. Um, Pochettino persuaded him otherwise. And his application and his willingness to work hard uh, has improved immeasurably. Because one of the one of the um, one of the criticisms of him was he, was he wasn't always defensively aware. Now whether that was a kind of um, kind of a mental um, issue or a um, physical one, I'm, I'm not quite sure. But whatever it is, he's fixed it so that he is now. You know, playing him used to be you play him at the expense of something happening potentially. So if you played him off the left hand side, you probably exposed back then. Danny Rose to um, the odd numerical mismatch, perhaps. Now you feel that, um, barring a, a couple of strange moments here and there, you feel he's a much more complete footballer. Um, and he's actually a better one, technically. I think his, uh, if you talk to people who watched him in the Bundesliga, um, they would probably say that he's, he was very patchy. He wasn't consistent. He wasn't reliable. Um, he went missing in big games uh, from time to time. Uh, and that was certainly true at the beginning of his Tottenham career too. He was uh, a bit of a no-show at grounds at Old Trafford and the Emirates. As time has gone on, that's changed. So now, um, with probably the exception of Harry Kane, if Tottenham had to score a big goal, it's going to come from Sonkin Min. And that's a, that's a sea change in his profile as a player, I think. Yeah. But listen, that's the end of today's podcast. There were three other suggestions that, that Alex made ahead of today. And I'd love to uh, do this again next time there's an international break. I believe that's not too far away either. I, th I think there's one in November. November the 7th to the 21st. Okay, cool. So in about a month, we can come back, at which point I would love to discuss Patrick Bamford, Jared Bowen and Callum Wilson, all players I think worthy of worthy of this conversation. Um, but for now, it is a, it's just, to, just to say thank you to, to you, Alex. Thank you very much. Thank you to you, Seb. Thank you very much, Joe. A quick reminder to the listener that I am winning the, the fantasy football uh, so far and am actually a better person and... Um, a better person. A better, better person. person and We've gone from a good at fantasy football professional, to a better person. Perhaps even just sort of more more broadly admired. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just I would say, you know, more enjoyed by other people. I don't know if I'm going too far to say that, but... Uh, I think, listen, that's all I want to say is, is li li leave you with that thought. I'm the best. And uh, I'll be back um, <laughs> later this week with <laughs> next week, sorry, with another thing uh, it, it, as part of which I'll, I'll probably also also uh, be the best. <laughs> <laughs>